Austin wanted three years. They really pushed hard for three years. The Leafs pushed hard for five years. So what do they do? Then they settle in the middle for four years. 13-2-5 is a number I think both sides can live with. If I'm Austin Matthews, I think the pressure of carrying anything beyond 13-5 would have been uh, too overbearing for him. Justin and I got off the radio yesterday, 5 p.m. We're getting in our cars and boom, alerts on our phones. And we had to wait 24 hours to talk about it. And here we are. Yeah, hosting the fan drive time, we didn't think we'd have these issues, right? <laughs> this is a morning show issue where right off the air something happens. But we got that same treatment yesterday. Of course, this is fan drive time. Justin Guthrie, Nailish Fortbar, on the heels of Austin Matthews signing his four-year extension with the Toronto Maple Leafs. I haven't been this excited for a little while to be doing radio programming. It's yes. been, a, you know, the summer's been, you know, it's been a little quiet at, at, at times. Uh, and getting the Leafs news uh, yesterday, get the tweet from Austin Matthews yesterday, it pained me a little bit that we had to wait 22 hours. Yeah, it was, uh, it was tough timing. Uh, we usually do have this happen in the morning show when the second we come off, all these other, like, franchises scheduled their tweets for 9 o'clock on oh, the yeah. dot. Like, they're scheduled. The second it hits 9, you know, Blue Jays make an announcement, Leafs make an announcement. So this one being a little bit later in the day, 5.09 for the Leafs and then 5 o'clock for Matthews, uh, it certainly gave us a lot of time to get through our thoughts, to read other people's thoughts, and I'm sure you've all heard it on our station all day long. Um, but, I mean, it's an excitement. This is possibly the best Toronto Maple Leaf to ever exist, wanting to stay longer with your franchise. Like, simply put, that's a huge win. There were there were certainly rumors that this was not going to work out. There was numbers being floated around that started with a one and a six and a one and a five, and those are really scary numbers. And the idea that, oh, Matthews will just go to Arizona, like all that stuff is now a mute point for now. Yeah, definitely. You get something, you know Matthews will be here for another four years after this upcoming season. And if you look at it bare bones, that's, that's a win for Leafs fans and Leafs Nation. And you know, at minimum, 12 years, probably the best 12 years of Austin Matthews' career yeah. are going to be spent in the blue and white. So uh, I am now listening to everybody else talk about it, especially on this station, on X, everywhere, is <laughs> has been an interesting process, right? Because normally, you know, sometimes we have to wait the full 22 hours or whatever it is, but we get our say in the morning. Sometimes we do get to lead off in terms of, yes. uh, you know, the takes and everything. So it's been interesting seeing everyone go through and unpack this deal uh, themselves. I think we should just start, like, you kind of answered it a little bit. Like, do we love it? Do we love this deal? Because other people are, you know, grouchy about the term. Mm -hmm. Other people are are confused about, uh, you know, how we arrived at this point. I am, I am fully fully in favor of this deal. Like, I'm really, really having trouble finding negatives. Mm -hmm. I think it's something that works really well for Austin Matthews. Obviously, he's making a ton of money, but I think this works really, really well for the Toronto Maple Leafs as well. Yeah, we used the word love a lot on our final hour of the fan drive time yesterday when we told Adnan Verk we loved him. And I think that... Yeah, sec second only to Adnan Verk right now is the Austin Matthews deal. <laughs> yeah. But then we got in the car and the love continued. And I think I certainly really, really liked this deal. Um, I understand the frustration. I think the biggest easy point to pick on right away is it would have been great if Austin Matthews was a Leaf for eight more years. And I understand that. Of course, like you want this guy to say, I'm going to play here forever forever, forever, forever. But it never felt like that was actually going to be a real thing. Like we had heard from Austin Matthews camp and we just played Kipper's quote coming in here. And that was on their uh, post. Uh, they did an emergency pod, Real Kipper and Born. If you haven't checked it out, you can go um, wherever you get your podcast. But it sounded like it was going to be three years. 
you know, Leafs wanted five and you get four. You meet in the middle. Leafs should have been like, we want eight. Yeah. <laughs> now we can meet at Where's six. the middle on that? But if eight years was really never in the picture and you're going to get him for four and you're, as you said, you're getting him in the best years of his career and the cap hit isn't as scary as it certainly could have, like I'm falling short on reasons to be with pitchforks and torches today. Yeah, I mean, I think your expectations are an important thing, right? You mentioned, oh, does it start with, uh, is it a 1-6? Is it a 1-5? What, is it going to be three years? I mean, it's none of that, which I think is important because I was bracing for a couple things. I was bracing for a big number short term or I was Mm -hmm. bracing for long term where it really, really complicates matters in the immediate term. And right now when they have to win games, like I don't know if they could deal with the cost of a contract right now that is of eight years of value. Mm-hmm. If it was going to be eight years, it was probably going to be 15 to $16 million. And I'm not sure they can deal with 15 to $16 million on the cap right now in the next two, three years, especially on the one year of overlap with John Tavares. I think it would be almost impossible not to field or ice a competitive team, but a team at all. It would just be way too much money tied up at the end where it just seems like, hey, you're fully and completely punting on this season. And I guess what I thought was more likely, though, because we know Austin Matthews never wanted eight years. We know he wanted to go short term. I was thinking maybe it's three times 14. Like if it's yeah. or like, is he just going to get everything he wants all the time? And I think at 13.2, despite him being the highest paid player in the NHL, when this contract does kick in, I, I don't think it's like, I don't think it's a full best of both worlds scenarios. Doesn't I don't handcuff think, them forever. N- not as it was at the start of his current deal where it's like, wow, that's a, that's a lot of money. And that's not the term you expect uh, out of entry, uh, out of entry level. Excuse me. I, I do think it's, it's a manageable number and it's a manageable term. And so often you see eight year contracts come out and bite you. And I don't know mm-hmm. if that would have been the case here with Matthews. But four years and five more years guaranteed at something that is no excuse for you to not win around. Like, it's not overbearing. But that's your it's, window now. It's not something that you can't manage. Yep. If you can't manage the $13 million it costs us, Matthews, then you're doing something else wrong. Then you are not building a hockey team correctly because that is not an albatross. That is not something that should ruin everything. It's not going to stand in the way of success. It's going to be the thing that you build around to have success. And for that reason... I do think they've struck a nice balance here. Yeah, I think um, when you look at how much more percent of the cap and how much more actual dollars that (laughs) you hear your iced coffee. (laughs) That's why that made me laugh. Um, That isn't as as significantly greater than we had thought, right? Like it is, it's marginal. It's a marginal bump when you look at the percent and the dollars that he's getting, and he's going to have the title of being the highest paid player in the league. And I wonder briefly, and that's briefly. Um, and also, just a programming note: we'll have Elliot Freeman join us at four o'clock, and he's a, he's a guy we're trying to track down. He's across the world, so it's great that he's going to join us. So stay tuned for that at four, and um, we'll talk through all this. And he obviously got to chat with William Nylander yesterday, and I think the timing is something interesting. We'll get into as well. But man, he would have gotten so much more on the open market. You never wanted to see that happen. So I think we can be like personally, I can be pretty pleased with how this ended up. And you mentioned eight years, like after five more seasons and four year, four more seasons on this deal, it's a really big de- decision point. Like what if the Leafs haven't found success at that point? Like maybe locking guys into really, 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 really long terms doesn't work for you. But maybe in five years, like you're at a decision point where Boston, like I'm not gonna say Austin Matthews might not be the right fit, but maybe everyone's willing to part ways, right? Like it's a still a long enough contract away that if the Leafs can't actually find success in that amount of time, they might need to do a whole reset by then anyway. 
Okay, so two points on the why not eight years thing. Uh, the first point is it was never going to be eight years. This was all preordained, right? Austin Matthews charted this path forward a long time ago, and all the credit in the world goes to his agent mm-hmm. and, and the people working behind the, behind the scenes for Austin Matthews because they've crafted this beautifully. At no point is he going to be underpaid, and I think the, the good thing about this deal is, like, you don't really think he's overpaid either. Like, if he was making the 15, 16 right now or in, in a year from now, you'd think he might be a little bit the overpaid. The cap's going up, and these are going to look even better when the cap goes up. And, right? and, that, and that's always the argument for eight years, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to get better as it goes up. But what Austin Matthews did with this, with this, uh, with his two contracts that he signed out of entry level here is sort of did the fragmented, I want to call it maximum term mm. deal out of entry level. What he did is broke it up. He always wanted to do five, and then I think we wanted to do three. That equates to a maximum turn extension out of entry level. And I think what they wanted to do and what his agents tried to do uh, with this strategy is just make sure those last three years you're not getting severely underpaid. And I do think that's like an expert way to go about things. It's frustrating if you're a Leaf fan, but it's not like, hey, someone's pulling the wool over someone's eyes. No, it's just Austin Matthews is getting paid what he should be paid in terms of percentage of the salary cap and actual dollars. And his agents did a really, really good job maintaining that over eight and what will be actually nine Mm -hmm. years because he signed uh, that deal. But I want to play devil's advocate just on the eight years thing because there's an important point or an inflection point that this franchise is meeting right now. And that's John Tavares is is going to be in the sixth year of his seven-year deal. He's turning 33 before the season starts. If Austin Matthews signed an eight-year deal... His second to last season, he'd be turning 33. He'd mm-hmm. be going into his age 33 season. And we know how we feel and about right that right now. And right now, if, if it was, hey, the equivalent of $11 million signed then, and you're looking at 15, 16 with Austin Matthews, who's having trouble being a 15 to $6 million player, are you that enthused about the seventh and eighth year of mm-hmm. a maximum turn extension that he could have signed just now? I think you may be avoiding a potential pitfall. And in Matthew's eyes, he's like, no, I'm just going to keep going and keep pushing it down the road, and I'm going to be paid what I deserve to be paid every single year. And I do think that's fine, but at some point, it's not going to be up, 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 up for Matthews. And if you can control things, if you can keep things at a level where every year it is manageable, you run into fewer problems down the line. No one thought we were going to be really, really concerned. I mean, I guess some people did, so that's not completely fair. But, like, there wasn't that much concern John Tavares, age 33, completely going to fall off the cliff. And I don't think he has completely fallen off the cliff. But if there's one contract that is inhibiting with the Maple Leafs right now, it is the $11 million signed a long time ago with John Tavares. So I don't think that's going to happen with Matthews. I do think he has more than, what, 13 years, 14, 15 years into his career. I still think he's going to be more productive than John Tavares in the same situation. But you never know. You, and you never know about injuries. And, and like he's not the most healthiest of players. And mm-hmm. anybody can f- have a freak injury. And it's just, it is a safety valve for both the player and the team. So that's why it can be viewed as, you know, he gets what he wants. And that's what pisses people off too, though, is when a player gets like, sh- what is it? Like, Having your cake eating ha- it too? Yeah, yeah. That, that saying. Or, like, he gets what he wants with the shorter-term deals again and again. And, like, that can make people upset that are Toronto fans or Toronto-adjacent because I just want to see one person sign an eight-year contract and stay here and take a hometown discount. But, I mean, 
it's, I think we're tiptoeing into the type of time and era where we won't see that as much. Like, who's to say that this contract being signed isn't how other people start to look at the framework and saying, I'm in, I'm in the prime of my career. I want to capitalize on the next three to four years. And then I want to capitalize again on that time frame. And he, he played it really, really well. And if you're if if that's the thing that you're really upset about, and I get it, because when you do sign eight-year contracts, they do improve over time, and then you feel like you have a little bit of a competitive and it's a advantage. Like I want to be here forever. Like people love that. Like look at the dry settle contract. Mm. That, that was I, and that was met with a lot of skepticism immediately. It's because immediately Leon Drysaddle was overpaid, and then all of a sudden he was accurately mm-hmm. paid, and all of a sudden he was severely severely yeah. underpaid. And when you can when it cha- when a contract takes on a different personality as you go, you can take advantage of it as a franchise. But if we're blaming anyone for the Leafs not buying into that structure where it's hey, it can improve, it can look bad, it can you never really know what's going to happen to that eight-year term because it's so long, then blame Kyle Dubas. Yeah. Because Austin Matthews put this plan in place five years ago mm-hmm. when he signed five years out of entry level. He wanted to make it so that in year six, seven, eight, he wasn't severely underpaid. He was, once again, accurately right. paid. Yep. And I think the one thing with Matthews that you just have to, I don't know if you want to appreciate, I don't know if you want to accept, I don't know what you want to do with it. But at no point in this in his career, he's going to go 13 years, aside from entry level, of him never being completely underpaid or completely overpaid. He is accurately priced. And guess what? If you're in the NHL and you want elite level players, you're going to have to pay a little money and mm-hmm. you're going to have to support them with cost effective players. That's just the reality of housing great players in this league. If you're expecting to pull the wool over everyone's eyes and make sure that everyone's underpaid and miserable, well, then maybe that'll work, but maybe it won't. And what's more likely going to work for you in, uh, as opposed to not having Austin Matthews on your team is having on your t- him on your team and paying him what he's worth. And right now, he's worth exactly what he signed for. And maybe, maybe at the end, a little bit undervalued, a little bit underpaid. And this will be so much sweeter for Leafs fans in the next couple of years when you look back at this, if they have won a Stanley Cup, if he has done this and decided to take a shorter-term deal, something that makes him happier in the meantime, because players that have done that and signed long-term contracts, like people are quick to say McKinnon, people are quick to say Stamkos, and they've won themselves a cup. Well, that's the big thing missing here, right? But you get this business done before the season starts, and I think that's an interesting point because what did we talk about all day yesterday? William Nylander. We talked about him from the morning show until the drive-home show because he talked with Elliot and Jeff overseas at the European NHL Media Day. And then at 5 o'clock, Austin Matthews takes over and says, I want to be here. This is my team. I'm going to put this tweet out myself. I'm going to be the one that breaks this news, and I want to be the guy that's going to stand here and announce that I am with this team. And we were kind of debating this off the air, and it might be like a bit a conspiracy theory, but I just don't think that it's that much of a coincidence that the day that you announce this contract, which we had heard that had been signed previously, right? Like we heard from insiders, and, and it was Frank, and it was Kipper, that the contract had been signed. It was in the top drawer, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. going to say, maybe not signed, but don't worry about yeah, it. it. It was don't like, worry. It was never like a, oh, they it, got this. we don't know. It's going to happen. Yeah. So... It's just, it's just strange to me that the same day that we're having all these conversations and the attention is uh, on Nylander and his nonchalant attitude and his idea that, oh, oh, it'll figure itself out, everybody pump the brakes, that Matthews gets on there and says, hey, I feel fortunate to continue this journey as a Maple Leaf. I'm going to do everything I can to help get us to the top of the mountain. Go Leafs, go. Here's my contract extension. Boom. On a random Wednesday 
in the end of August when we have been talking about no Maple Leafs all season long or summer long. I just think it's interesting. I'd like to ask Elliot about it yeah, at well, 4 o'clock. We'll ask Elliot for sure. I'm, I'm personally not buying into this uh, even remotely uh, because <laughs> I guess because I don't think what William Nylander said was all that incendiary. Like, honestly, I, think I agree with people that. are making way, in my opinion, people are making may, way too uh, big of a deal well, they're reading about it. into William Nylander as like a super negative thing that he said, but it was just William Nylander. Well, and I think they're trying to shove things in Nylander's face now, now that you got some good news yes. or some perceived good news about Austin Matthews wanting to be here and he's going to be here for another five years uh take that willie like i just think that's a weird thing that's happening within the fan base but my my stronger argument to that is this contract that was signed yesterday is maybe the most important in the history of the toronto maple leafs and to suggest that hey let's get the let's rush into this one a little bit because william nylander talked to elliot friedman mm-hmm. and didn't show that he was like fully and over the top dedicated to the franchise he said he loved it multiple times but like maybe maybe he's Maybe his uh, his devotion was a little bit in question. So let's rush to get this done. Like I just, it, think, I think it was to already me, that done. argument falls short. If it was already done, and they're like, we need a little bit. You of think PR? they did the contract yesterday? That's it. They just typed it up quickly. Okay, sign this. Boom. I, I don't believe I, that. I think they've been working. Well, we'll ask again. We'll ask Elliot about this. But I think they've been working at it a long time. And there there were things that had to be negotiated, yes. right? I mean, we all have heard this. We Kipper bumped us in. He wanted three years. He being Austin Matthews, the Leafs wanted five plus. If they just wanted five, well, why didn't want six, as you mentioned? But they wanted mm-hmm. five. They've been struggling here. They met in the middle. It sounds very easy, but it probably took a long time for them to get to this point because that's another point on this contract. Matthews giving up one more year than he really wanted to is kind of a big deal. It's yeah. one more year where you have to stay at the top of your game in order to get to the point where you're going to cash in once mm-hmm. again maybe sign an eight-year deal that gets you to age 38 39 like it is it is important that he didn't give up too much in order to give himself that uh, opportunity to make that one more big maximum term splash so i did think there was a concession there and if they worked on it and it got to the point where they you know they just struck an agreement on a wednesday after william nylander talked to elliot freeman and jeff merrick <laughs> so be it i just don't think austin matthews is the type of person or the leafs are the type of people to try to make something of nothing and honestly if i'm looking at what william nylander said i still think it's a whole lot of nothing i I agree we talked about william nylander five minutes on our show yesterday because we didn't think it was anything too significant but i just a a tiny part of me thinks it's just a weird time to put it out that's all Uh, but now everyone is okay what's what's this mean for william nylander like Mm -hmm. it's hard to detract those two from the conversation and one is signing a deal and one doesn't have one and now this will reflect on William Nylander how. I don't know if it changes anything for him. It seems like he's already got the same stance he's had all this time, which is it's going to, I, I like the Leafs. I love playing here and I'd like to be a Leaf, but my agent is dealing with it with Brad and we'll just go about, I can't really tell you much, but I have what I want and they have what they want and we'll see where it goes. It almost makes me, to be honest, a little bit more sympathetic of the conversation Nylander had or his statement because he's talking about, hey, uh, my agent's going to deal with Brad, but Brad's been busy. Brad just signed a massive deal. <laughs> Again, maybe the most important in the history of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Brad Trilliving just worked for the bulk of the summer on getting that done. It just got done the same day that he was talking about it. So maybe there is, other than the initial conversations they had and maybe some trade talk and just trying to figure out exactly what to do with the asset, that William Nylander's been a little neglected this summer. Maybe they've been... 
Priority one has been Austin Matthews here. and We sure, I mean, we have every reason to believe that is true and that maybe the talks have cooled. And William Nylander said, hey, a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago, I want to play out this year because I'm still trying to define myself as a player. And for that reason, all the focus and attention was getting Matthews done, which got done. Uh, the fact that it's about it's between his agent and Brad Living is completely fine with me. The fact that Nylander wants to continue defining himself and have the best year of his career because he wants to, A, make money, and B, help the team win. I love that. <laughs> uh, like There's th- this whole thing where everyone wants to not just be happy about Matthews, but to project emotion and have some negative emotion and direct it towards William Nylander. I just don't get it. That's William Nylander. We've been talking a lot about, like, have awareness of the market. How about we, as a fan base, have some awareness about William Nylander? That's who he is. If you're expecting him to be something, someone different, well, then pursue the trade because William Nylander is just going to be William yeah. Nylander, and his laissez-faire attitude should not be confused with someone who doesn't care about playing hockey and playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, I just don't understand the vitriol directed towards him, and I don't think these two issues or these two storylines are at all connected. Unfortunately for Willie in the crossfires of, of Matthews being the one that announced his contract and that being sold and, you know, figured out now before training camp is this will be the conversation now moving forward. It won't be about is also Matthews staying long-term. Well, that's done. So now it's going to be what's up with William Nylander. Are you signing? Are you not signing? Where's your contract things at? I heard 10 million. You heard 8 million. So that's just an unfortunate like thing that's going to happen to him now. And, mm. You can't control that until you sign. Or the first time you get in front of the podium on media day, you say, I won't talk about my contract. He's going to have to deal with it. He's going to have to deal with it. And he might shut it down immediately, and he probably will, and say, you know what, like I'm not going to talk about my contract. I love being Maple Leaf. And then we don't have a chance to talk about it all year long. But it leaves a big puzzle piece put in place and another one sitting there. So, And, and you know who also just dealt with the questions all year long? Awesome. William, no, William Nylander's best friend. David Bashnak or childhood friend or someone he's still very, very close to. And guess what happened with David Bashnak? He took it till the end and then he signed an eight-year deal with the Boston so Bruins. So maybe he's going to take that? So so maybe just the, 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 not everyone has to take the same approach. David Bashnak had no concern at all over his contract all year long. Just the same way William Nylander has had or is at least showing that there's no concern and they found a way to make a deal. And I guess the, the 11 million plus, I think, David Pasternak got is more than this fan base is probably a comfortable giving to William Nylander, but I just think it will resolve itself. And if we freak out and if Brad living freaks out, then a mistake might get made here. And I don't think it is too, is too early. Like William Nylander said to freak out about this. There's still time as he said. And I think like his buddy, David Pasternak, he intends to use it. Okay, so lots of time left in our show to talk uh, Austin Matthews' contract. Of course, we'll have Haley Salvian on after our first break. Adam Stanley will join us uh, from the Women's Open, the Canadian Women's Open um, out west, and we'll get a little tee-up for Brooke Henderson and what's uh, what's to come as they start today, I believe. Elliot Freeman, of course, at 4 o'clock. Uh, that'll be a big one. And then Chris LaRue will join us in studio to tee up tonight's game against the Baltimore Orioles, which may or may not be played because of a bit of rain that they're seeing. Uh, but we want to touch on last night's game, of course, with the Toronto Blue Jays falling quite short to the Orioles after we were very excited about their first game, about their showing that they had some grit. They came back in extras and they won this game. And you got Kevin Gosman on the mound last night. And we thought, well, this is perfect setup to go two in a row against Orioles. And they fell extremely short. Um, but we wanted to kind of talk about 
Gosman himself. So we know Gosman is the ace. We feel a high level of confidence when he's on the mound. But once again, the team isn't able to give him any run support. Um, they've scored two runs or less in 10 of Kevin Gosman's starts this season. He's now the league's lowest in run support average uh, with 3.23 and the second lowest in Blue Jays history. And the Jays have a losing record in all of his starts. And he's the guy that delivers time and time again on the mound. And so it is frustrating because it's a team game. A team win is more important than a pitcher's win or loss. But he's just not getting the support, the runs. And we had a quote from him uh, last night post-game. And I don't know if we're we're pulling at something, but it seems to be maybe a little level of frustration from Kevin Gosman on the lack of support and maybe the lack of urgency that this team is showing. You know, we're just waiting for that, you know, that, that big stretch. And we've kind of been waiting for that all year. And, um, you know, is it going to happen? I don't know. You know, I, I hope it does. I hope it starts tomorrow. Um, but we can't keep sitting back and waiting on that. You know, we got we to gotta go now. And um, we need a little bit more sense of urgency. And that's the second time we've heard urgency from two of these team leaders in the last week, Bo Bichette with urgency and now mm-hmm. Kevin Gosman with urgency. And he deserves to have a little frustration when you do everything you can. You lead the American League in strikeouts. You've got top eight in ERA and in innings pitched, and your team can't get a single run for you. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I not that I don't appreciate his comments because I do think and I don't even know if they're warranted. Like I don't know if everyone has this uh, this attitude, like, hey, it'll come, or we don't have to be urgent right now. There's no pressure on us. I don't think that is the case, or we don't know that as a fact. The way that Bo Bichette, you know, uh, treated his return, and we've heard some comments from Brendan Belt that have been maybe a little bit more serious than others, and Kevin Gosman, I guess, trying to give them a little nudge in the right direction. But, like, I can't shake Kevin Gosman's form when he's talking. Like, I'm thinking about his performance when he's saying that, and I'm looking at his results in August in the most important month of the season to date, his most important two starts of the season probably to date, his last two. The Blue Jays lost 7 nothing and 9-4, and I know mm-hmm. not all of that is on him, but he has not been sharp. He is not. He was in the Philly start you know, five earned runs, seven runs total, seven hits, five and a third. He was not sharp last night. He battled enough to to limit the damage, but still he wasn't what we expect from Kevin Gosman. Like, I think Kevin Gosman needs a little urgency as well, and he's supposed to be the ace, and I get that he's maybe the un- most unlucky pitcher in Major League Baseball if you're going back to last year and the run support this year, but I kind of, if you don't like it, pitch better Roy Halladay thing. Like, I, I, we, he needs to be the ace. And in the same way that everybody needs to get going, this Blue Jays team, if it's going to make the playoffs, needs their ace to be their ace. And frankly, he hasn't been good enough for the last four, five, six weeks. I mean, you look big picture and he's still the best pitcher on this roster all season long. I know Kikuchi's had an incredible run, but yeah, Kikuchi's maybe been the star of the last month and Kevin Gosman hasn't been, but he's still your first starter in the playoffs, right? Like he's your ace. He's your guy. I believe that, but I'm also like, I just don't, I don't think he's looked very good. And th- this is not to absolve the offense. The offense yeah. was terrible. Team baseball was terrible. Fundamentals terrible. There were a lot of embarrassing things that went on last night. But I think everyone's got to look in the mirror rather than being like, you know, deflecting. Because yeah. I think I think yesterday, last night, was on everyone. All right, we'll chat more Blue Jays later on the show with Chris LaRue. Uh, we'll also give you some updates on Shohei Otani because that one was uh, a heartbreaker. Uh, I woke up at three in the morning, check my phone and it said Shoho Atani has a torn UCL. And I went, Oh 
Oh my God. In the middle of the night. Woke my dog up. Uh, it's just shocking. Poor guy. Um, hopefully there's a good trajectory on the upright, on the turn for him, but it doesn't sound like it's going to be great. Um, but we'll have Haley Salvian join us after the break. We'll talk through some of this Austin Matthews extension, and then Adam Stanley will fit in there as well and talk a little bit of women's golf. That's all next on Fan Drive Time. The smartest takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. writer for the athletics first impressions on the deal signed yesterday how's it going Haley? hey good how are you guys oh, we're good we're afternooners now so it's like it's a completely different vi- vibe impressed? here we're a different vibe on the show <laughs> you sound great today Lish. oh my goodness thank you it's like i've slept it's nice yeah totally um yeah i guess first impressions on the deal i when i saw it yesterday um i mean i like it i can understand why there are fans who are asking, like, why is it only four years? Why are we seeing, you know, superstars in other markets signing for seven years, eight years, locking in, you know, for the next decade almost? Why is Nathan Matthews doing that? And I understand those questions, but I like the deal for both sides. I think the Leafs and Austin Matthews, you know, they're each getting a little bit of, what they wanted maybe not everything again so you're not getting that you know six seven eight year term on it but you are getting austin matthews for you know the next five years here including this season um and that were you know when you're looking at an extension for austin matthews if even let's say it's an eight-year deal like the most important years of an eight-year contract extension for austin matthews would realistically be that first four-year window that first half of it um, you know, where the team and all the guys are kind of still in their prime. So I like the deal. I think, um, you know, having the best goal scorer in the league over the last several years at a $13 million cap hit is great for the Maple Leafs. And I think, you know, for somebody like Austin, he gets to maximize his earnings over his career and he gets to kind of control his future a little bit, his opportunities. He's giving himself the most flexibility possible in the future. I mean, he's going to be 31 years old when this contract is up, when he's an unrestricted free agent. And sure, that could be scary down the line for Leafs fans, um, but that's still five years away. And even if he were to leave, um, he's still showing a commitment to Toronto. Because when that deal is done, he's going to be a Maple Leaf for 12 years, over a decade. So, um, and I think if you're looking at the Leafs side of things, again, sure, you'd maybe want a bit longer term, but you get four more years, five years total over the next stretch. That's kind of the peak window of contention for the Maple Leafs, and it's going to give them a bunch of flexibility too because what happens when this deal's over? If the Leafs haven't won anything, maybe both sides are going to want to look at things and say, let's try a different direction. So I think this gives both sides a lot of flexibility, and obviously for Austin, he gets to – make 13 million dollars over the next 
four years once that kicks in. Yeah, it sounds pretty good. I mean, maybe I'm being a Leafs apologist. Maybe I'm being an Austin Matthews apologist just a little bit. But, like, I, I think you named a couple really important touchstones there. 31 when the deal's over and 12 years into his National Hockey League career. And if we talk about maximum term at of entry level, like that's where it generally takes you, right? That's where it generally yeah. takes a player. So I can I can look at this and maybe again, I'm being a little bit too much of an apologist at just mm-hmm. like a fragmented eight year maximum term deal out of entry level that just happens to be nine years and he gave you an extra deal. Like I, I just think that yeah. the bottom line is that he wants to get paid his market value across the, the, the balance of his career and that you're not going to get those really, really underpaid seasons and that I guess is fine, but at the same time, you avoided having to pay him $15, $16 million right oh, yeah. away, which you would have had to do in an eight-year eight deal. So did they strike the right balance here? Like, if you're living, is it a big win that it's that it's four? Like, you probably would rather have five, but the fact that it wasn't three and the yeah. fact that he was able to get that extra year, should we, like, does Living get credit for that? I think Trey Living gets credit for saying that the top priority of the offseason was to sign Austin Matthews, and he did it. And it wasn't, like, again, and, I, and I'm totally with you, Justin. Like, I'm not trying to be a Leafs or a Brad Trey Living apologist or anything like that here, but, like, I am having a hard time to, like, truly poke a hole in this. Again, you could say, yeah, you'd love to have Austin Matthews for eight more years after this season. Totally. Um, but it's not three years. Like I keep looking at it that way. It could have been worse. Um, and Austin Matthews could have like reset the market in terms of how star players are paid in the NHL, right? Like he could have made like $15 million over three years. Like when I saw the deal yesterday, honestly, it took me a little bit of time to really like think about it because obviously my first thought was like oh interesting like it just when I thought of Austin Matthews contract extensions maybe I wasn't thinking hard enough maybe I'm not smart enough but I don't know if I thought that four years at 13 and change was was going to be what the the final outcome was I thought maybe it would be like three years or something a little bit longer like you said like a five or a six I don't think I ever thought it'd be seven, eight years. So I think Trey Living gets credit um, for going out and hitting the most important note of the to-do list of the least this off season. I think this other part of, of this extension obviously is, you know, both sides get this done. You know, they, they meet in the middle on the term. You know, I think I heard from some insiders that Austin wanted three, the Leafs wanted five. So they meet in the middle. Um, sure. That the term is more player friendly, but I would say that that cap hit, um, especially for a team like most teams, but, you know, especially we're talking about the Leafs here that is up against the cap, getting, again, the best goal scorer over the last several years in the league at 13.25 is is pretty great. So, yeah, I, I have a hard time finding, like, a ton of problems with this deal other than the obvious, like I've said, of sure, you'd love to have Austin Matthews for eight years, but when it's all said and done, once this deal's over, that's going to be 12 years of Austin Matthews in Toronto. I don't know how you could be super upset about that. Yeah, so we got the short-term, mid-term uh, projection for where Austin Matthews will be. But I, I guess the next logical question that a lot of people are asking is how this affects other Maple Leafs, uh, Mitch Marner and William Nylander. Namely, um, obviously, William Nylander was in the news yesterday for different reasons, but his contract still uh, question marks there to be had. Uh, how, do you do, how do you think that this will affect them, or, or if it doesn't at all, how, how, what is the reasoning behind that? 
Yeah, I think it's super interesting um, with William Nylander because, I mean, they're not even really comparable players. I guess if you look at the fact that they're both goal scorers and they're both on the Toronto Maple Leaf, sure. But, like, I don't think looking at – if you're looking at what William Nylander's next deal should be, like, you're not looking at Austin Matthews as a contract comparable. I think the reason that we do that in this market is because so many of the Leafs are making – 10 plus million dollars, right? Because if you think of, of somebody like Willie and you think of all the top wingers in the National Hockey League, you know, I'm looking at guys like Kaprizov, Marner, Matthew Kachuk, Johnny Gaudreau, um, Pasternak, Svechnikov, Robertson, Rantanen, Mark Stone. Only like three of those guys are making over 10. And one of them is Mitch Marner, one of them is David Pasternak, and the other is uh Artemi Panarin so if you're looking at somebody like Nylander and thinking like you know Nylander's probably going to want something that has double digits at the start right he's going to want 10 but like are the top the top wingers in the league aren't making 10 million dollars and I think if you're Nylander though that kind of trump card that you put down to the GM is like well look at my teammates that's that's the market that we've set here. Um, so I think that's what's kind of interesting about a Nylander is, yeah, Austin Matthews shouldn't be the contract comp, but it kind of is because of the way that things have happened in Toronto over the last several years. Um, I think if you're looking at what happens next with William Nylander, I mean, I heard him talk during the, um, you know, they're kind of, they're in Europe right now and he was talking to NHL.com. He's talking to Elliot Friedman. I listened to 32 thoughts, um, his interview today and, you know, him saying like, you know, we've got time. Uh, he seems pretty chill about the whole thing. So I think you could see a scenario where they just play this year out with William Nylander. And I'm personally okay with that. I think there were parts of the summer where everyone's thinking like, if they can't sign Nylander, they need to trade him because you can't risk losing him for nothing next summer. You know, with Bradtree Living, you can't risk another Johnny Gaudreau happening. But for me, I look at this and I would rather, like if you're the Leafs and you want them to, to win and have success in the postseason uh, this year, like wouldn't you rather do that with William Nylander and risk losing him rather than make your team worse by trading him just to say that you did? Like when we're thinking of what's really important for the Toronto Maple Leafs this year in the next four, is it asset management or is it trying to win a Stanley Cup? And I think Nylander as a 40 goal scorer, you know, there's not that many guys in the league who can just put in 40, uh, 40 goals, 80 points. Um, I think you do that with Nylander, even if it means you maybe lose him next year. So I wouldn't be upset if the Leafs played out with Nylander this season. I think that also allows them to fully take a look at things after the season, depending on how things go, right? Next summer, uh, you've got a ton of UFAs, Nylander, Domi, Bertuzzi, TJ Brody, Mark Giordano, Samsonov. They're all unrestricted free agents. And at that point, Tavares and Marner are one year away from unrestricted free agency as well. So you're almost like punting on a bunch of big decisions to next season based on what happens this year. Like, does this mix truly work i feel like it's almost a rinse repeat cycle with this team so it's like we'll look at the core next summer uh, but that really does seem like the time where that kind of conversation and like real look at what needs to happen with that core group would be next year with willie as a ufa and obviously Tavares and marner one year away from unrestricted free agency i know i don't even know if that answers your question i feel like i just rambled um but i feel like that's the way i look at it is just Sure, you'd rather have Nylander signed, but also I don't have a problem with punting it to see what happens with this team when it matters most this year. 
Yeah, I mean, I think you made a lot of good points there. I mean, I think just <laughs> you, know, ramble, you, you talking there, but, but like one important thing, maybe the best argument against eight years, we're talking about hierarchies, internal hierarchies with salary structure forever. And if it yeah. was 15, 16 million for Matthews because you went eight years, then is it not mm-hmm. the Wild West for Willie and, and, and Mitch on their next More contracts? Martyr, like They'd be really pushing it closer to 15, 16. And I don't know how they're going to manage that. But if everyone has to come down below Matthews, maybe you got a, you got a chance to keeping everyone together. Uh, we got to fly. Haley, this was a lot of fun catching up with you. Uh, we'll have to do it again on the morning uh, sometime soon, even though we might all be just not as... Not as sharp. Yeah. I won't be awake. I don't have a, a, you know, just call me when you're in the afternoon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll give you the 830. How about we compromise there? Yeah, it's like meeting in the middle, three and five years. We'll do four years there at 830. Go. Okay. Th- Haley, we appreciate it. Uh, we'll chat soon. Okay. Jumping from one to the other. Um, and we'll catch up a little bit more with Elliot Friedman on the Austin Matthews contract. Uh, but we got to chat with our guy, Adam Stanley, Sportsnet writer covering the Canadian Open out West. And our golf report brought to you by TPC Toronto at Osprey Valley. Adam, Lovely we, place. We did go to Osprey Valley about a week and a half ago. And I think it's thanks to you. So we appreciate you uh, introducing <laughs> us to was them. Was it thanks to Stanley? Well, it was after a hit we had with Adam. And we talked okay. about how much we loved Osprey Valley. And then the, the chips fell where they did. So we must say we well, loved thanks. it. Adam. And it's all because of you, Adam. So thank you. Hey, no problem. I'm just glad you're not asking me about Austin Matthews' contract because it seems <laughs> like you got everyone's like that's but that seems like we're covered. We're good. So <laughs> we can talk about the CPKC Women's Open and we'll be off to the races after that. Well, uh, Brooke Henderson obviously doesn't have the chance to win as much as Austin Matthews will with his contract, but of course she's the big story this week um, out in Vancouver. So I don't think she's teed off yet for today's round. It looks like it's around 4 p.m. your time. Um, so what's just the hype around Brooks Brigade? And I must tell you, I'm wearing a Brooks Brigade Brigade T-shirt. <laughs> right now on the radio <laughs> there you go big big time shout out to the red t-shirt yes. yeah it's four uh four four twenty p.m uh eastern time actually so it's about oh, 120 perfect. uh yeah 120 pacific so it is coming close i'm uh i'm just uh across the first fairway from the driving range book is on the driving range along with probably 90 percent of the fans on property right now as well trying to catch a catch a clip so yeah interesting uh season so far for brooke henderson uh, a little bit up and down she'll be the first person to tell you that uh she won the first tournament of the year but her only other top 10 on the season uh came a couple weeks ago when she was runner-up uh, at the evian championship so you know just the two top 10s but uh, she took last week off uh, she's rested she's ready she knows exactly what she needs to do this week and at this golf course which is kind of a, a stout championship test and she came into the week rocking glasses this yes. she wears glasses yeah she wears glasses off the golf course uh, see movies do sightseeing no pun intended to do all these other things but this week is actually the first time that she's gonna the glasses in competition so it's pretty wild that you know canada's winningest golfer of all time 13 wins two majors uh couldn't really see all that great when she was out there playing and, and now she's got the glasses on and we'll uh we'll see what ends up happening over the next couple of days yeah the corrective lens is definitely the story uh heading into this t- tournament for brooke which <laughs> yes. is a little strange i mean i had a similar thing but it happened to me when i was like 15 years old and in, in high school and they're like the math teacher's like hey, you got to come to the front of the class every time we do formulas uh, i'm calling your parents we're getting you glasses right now I'm just a little surprised this happened so quickly. Like if she, like, yeah. uh, did she get provide a rationale and why she's made the change, why she needs the change? Why is it's happened so suddenly? I mean, I, I don't know if you just lose it overnight, but what's going on there? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a good line of questioning because it's, it's, it's a very, it's very new for, you know, Canada's, let's call her top 10, one of Canada's top 10 individual athletes to have such a drastic 
uh, approach to their sport. Yeah, of course, it's 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 something different and, and it's a little jarring to see. But uh, if she wears glasses off the golf course, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, she literally said that, um, you know, just Brittany, her sister, her caddy uh, was kind of subtly saying like, hey, maybe maybe it's time. It's time for, you know, you to have a bit of a clearer approach to things. You know, Brittany's kind of charged with with looking where the ball lands from the tee um, and, and is basically in charge of all of that. So it's like, hey, maybe maybe we need to have a better approach to our, you know, our, our specific ball striking her ball striking um you know as compared to the last couple of years she was number five and number four in greens and regulation the last two seasons this year she's 33rd so it's a pretty drastic jump in the ball striking and it was just one of those things where last week she was home uh she was practicing she left the glasses on said that she felt good that she wanted to try to do something different to help correct um you know her her kind of lack of success on the ball striking side of things to be a little bit more laser focused and um yeah we'll see what happens i will say obviously speaking from experience wearing glasses you know while playing golf like it's going to be pretty hot here this afternoon it's going to be you know 28 29 degrees celsius and brooks glasses are not like sport glasses they are you know fashion They're like glasses. your glasses so, yes yeah, so they are 100 percent. they're very <laughs> have very similar specs on I, I i told her i was like hey it's a, it's a good move i can tell you from experience but it's seeing is important yeah hot. yeah big time especially with golf anyways but the short version of my point is that if on TV, you know, it's going to be fascinating to see if she's kind of doing the, the nose adjustment or the, you know, kind of the ear adjustment. And if that's going to be a distraction today, because, you know, they're just going to be slipping off her nose. She's never played in competition with them on. Uh, today's going to be the hottest day of the, of the week so far. Something to keep an eye on. I can't believe I just used that line. I was going to say, yeah. way to go, Adam. I don't think you're even meaning to at this point. She wants to see more clearly. Yeah, yeah, you got yeah, all the puns yeah, ready. I'm, I'm the glasses guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You've used these yeah. before. Um, yeah. Okay, so we obviously know the uh, Canadian Open earlier in the year. Nick Taylor just made it uh, a Canadian spectacle heritage moment. Um, there's a lot of Canadians in the field. There are more than just Brooke Henderson, I mean. Um, is there a Canadian that can Nick Taylor this event for us? Is there a yeah. Canadian storyline other than Brooke that we should be keeping our eyes on? Get it? <laughs> yeah. And I think you said Canadian spectacle there yes, too, which is uh, pretty pretty darn good. Um, the so so fifteen Canadians in the field this week. I think actually most of them are amateurs, either part of the Golf Canada amateur team program um, or you know part of the, the the young pro squad. So you know there's a lot of uh, there's a lot which is kind of a credit to, to Brooke. And, you know, we kind of see Vanessa Borvalos, for example, she's from just outside Toronto. She won the drive, tip, and putt national final uh, at Augusta National like three or four years ago. So, you know, they, they are not that far removed from being, you know, just, just kind of young girls in the space, which is, which is actually pretty neat. But um, you know, two unique stories this week for sure. Uh, Maddie Zurich and her sister Ellie Zurich are playing in a PGA Tour event for the very first time, and they are actually playing together. Uh, today and tomorrow, they're they're in the same group, which is which is pretty neat. They're from kind of the London, London Ontario area, uh, and then there's Elena Sharp. Uh, Elena, obviously the veteran out here, 42 years old, playing in her 18th uh, CPKC Women's Open. Um, she struggled a little bit last year on the LPGA, so she's down on the Epson Tour this year, which is you know the the minor league, the feeder uh, tour to the LPGA. But she's got five top tens plus a win on that circuit this year. And for someone who's you know 42, she. She declares herself the grandma of the tour. Her words, not mine. Um, you know, she's she's got a, a real focus on on having some success this week. She was Canadian at this tournament last year. So, you know, Brooke Brooke aside, I think we'd love to see kind of someone like Elena. You know, the veteran on this tour have have a really really good week in a year when she's been playing some really good golf. 
Uh, let's quickly touch on the Tour Championship before we let you go, Adam. What is the biggest storyline there? I'm seeing Scotty Scheffler's already minus money because he's given the strokes beforehand, and it's just like an abomination of a golf tournament overall. Uh, but it's pretty important because we're picking Ryder Cup teams very shortly. So yeah. what is the number one thing that you'll be keeping your eye on at a distance while you're co- covering the CPKC <laughs> Women's Open? Is, how, how many strokes? I promise I didn't try. To, I, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't try, but it just happens. Scheffler's up by how many now? Uh, he, uh, I'm not seen in front of me, but I think he had a four shot okay. lead at least four, Okay. So, so that's the interesting thing. It's like, this is, they had to do this starting strokes thing. Um, I think it, it, it zoom out. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Zoom in. Okay, fine. Yeah, it does make sense. The things that I'm looking forward to this week, obviously the two Canadians first time ever in the FedEx cup era that we've had two Canadians play in the tour championship. So kudos to the fellas, Corey and Nick, really, really good years. Really, really neat to see. Um, I was before you said that Scotty had a four or five shot lead. I was, fascinated to see how uh, uh, Victor Hovland and Rory McIlroy were going to do in, in the chasing pack. but I think Rory hurt himself uh, last week and he had some serious back problems I don't know how much uh, of a factor he's going to be this week um, Lucas Glover is probably the, the main kind of the focus this week because if Lucas Glover for me, if he plays really, really well in the Tour Championship, you look at the body of work and the hot hand that he has, you know, I really don't think that you can ignore him as a Ryder Cup pick um, by the time this tournament's over. So, yeah, a couple of, uh, of storylines this week in the, in the season finale on the Tour Championship side of things. Um, but, yeah, Lucas Glover and, and his status for the Ryder Cup probably be, be my number one. Glover, one under right now. Um, Scotty Scheffler, 12 under with Hovland, eight under. So still some room at the top there, but Glover's got to turn it on real quick here. Um, Well, Adam, keep it glassy this weekend and have a spectacular time. And we'll be looking for your coverage uh, online on (laughs) sportsnet.ca. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much. Uh, That's Adam Stanley, our Sportsnet golf writer. And that golf report was brought to you by TPC Toronto at Osprey Valley. We had a hoot. When we played there, we did. Week. You were on today. You there's something about afternoons. We got a the puns are dialed. <laughs> this in the is this is not the morning content that we usually get from you. <laughs> this is very good. Yeah, I honestly cannot imagine just going from never wearing glasses in the competitive sports that you play in to putting them on at the biggest tournament of your year. I it's going to be. Yeah. incredible to watch i know you roll your eyes every time i talk about my minor league hockey career my, my not even minor league what is it called when you're when you're a kid minor hockey i guess your minor hockey career it is yeah minor, minor, minor league leagues. it's your you're minor AHL, it's your minor buddy. i like what i said i'm like i'm not in the, the minor league minor hockey career <laughs> but i when that math teacher called my parents i got contacts and the first game i played with contacts in i was like i ruined my entire minor hockey league career because i haven't been doing it with contacts Maybe it's just world opens up for Brooke Henderson today. 25 years old. I mean, get get the contacts going. That's pretty crazy. Um, all right. We'll make sure we give some updates on uh, Brooke's teeing off in the next uh, 35 minutes. So we'll let you know when we get off the air five how she's doing. Elliot Friedman will join us after the break. Where in the world is Elliot Friedman? Somewhere in Europe, Scandinavia, probably on a nice yacht or something. He's going to join us, though. That's our Roger Cell connection reaches far and wide. Elliot Friedman after the break. From the City News 680 Traffic Center, I'm Carling Donahue, and this report is brought to you by Mr. Lube. Right now on the West Gardner approaching the 427, we have the three right lanes blocked off due to a vehicle fire cleanup. 
Only the two left lanes getting through. It's causing extremely heavy delays from Jarvis. The highway looks like a parking lot. If you're taking the West Queensway instead, we have delays from South Kingsway to Stephen, which is just approaching Park Lawn, and from Islington to the 427. Also South 427, south of Airport Road, we have a center lane and right shoulder blocked with a collision. Drop in anytime, any day to your local Mr. Lube. Warranty approved oil changes and tires. Mr. Lube, open early, open late, open weekends, no appointment needed. Breaking down the biggest stories in Toronto sports. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's your Peloton routine going to be beforehand? should probably bring the Peloton into the studio. Be riding that thing while we're crushing Krispy Kreme donuts. Drop 850 burgers. calories, men, before you get There's in There's some things that are going to come across our plate tomorrow that will really upset we'll you. clog some arteries. Yeah, we'll be clogged. <laughs> yes, we will be. <laughs> we're doing that tomorrow, though. Um, should be fun. Hopefully hit CNE sometime this weekend or next week. Uh, so we're able to see the lines for those in person um, because it's going to be pretty crazy. We got Argos tomorrow night as well. If you're in the city of Toronto, you can head down. You can see the Argos and you get free admission to the CNE while you're there. It's a pretty good time in the city this weekend. And I mean, yesterday definitely helped with some of the vibes. All right. We got our guy, Elliot Freeman, from somewhere in a beautiful yacht or boat Euro or tripping. somewhere in the you know, Europe area. It's Elliot Friedman. How's it going? Europe area? Yeah. Okay. Well, can you, <laughs> can you dial it in more? I was being as generic as possible. <laughs> uh, I'm in Stockholm. Uh, actually, we went uh, yesterday. We were in Stockholm today, but now I'm back. I was just in um, uh, Havel, uh, which is a couple hours north today. We were taping something with uh, Jacob Markstrom. So back in Stockholm tonight. So the Europe area was perfect. <laughs> you were all over it. Yeah, it, was, it was an area yeah, in Europe. <laughs> it, was, it, it definitely, technically, Alice, you were 100% accurate. Yeah. <laughs> so it's going to be hard to match, I guess, uh, what, what resulted in being somewhat incendiary with William Nylander. Your conversation with him, of course, is uh, 32 Thoughts, which is available on your podcast feeds now. Were you expecting such vitriol, at least from the fan base? I don't know if you've been really tracking it, but people are angry about the comments that you uh, were able to uh, uh, you were able to get out of uh, William Nylander in your conversation. To me, it didn't feel like it was all that serious. But what did you take from your conversation with William Nylander? Well, well first of all, Justin, you know, I really haven't had a chance to see the reaction because because uh, uh, I was uh, doing the other things. Like people are like now. Again, is it you know what are they angry at exactly? So I'm I'm trusting you on this. What what are they angry at? Uh, I guess it's it's a laissez-faire approach to being a Toronto Maple Leaf, which is probably the best way I can uh, sum it up. Or like the lack of urgency on the contract. Like he's like you know everyone just relax. Does it like, really mean that happen. much to you? I guess. Well, um, look like. The one thing I kind of understand about Nylander, and I think anybody uh, who uh, follows this recognizes that he's a really polarizing guy. I think he, I think he elicits, you know, some very strong reactions. Um, you know, like he's like as, as I said in my tweet yesterday, he's the most relaxed man in hockey. 
And I think some people really like that. And I think some people, it really drives them crazy. And I think some people fall on both sides. Like some days they really like it and some days they really don't. And I just think the way Nylander is um, really elicits strong reaction from people. I think a lot more so than a lot of other players. Um, You know, the thing I look at here is I I don't, if people are saying he doesn't want to be a Maple Leaf, I think that's completely wrong. I think that he does want to be a Maple Leaf. And when he says that's his, as he said in the interview, that's all he wants or what he wants more than anything else, I believe him. Uh, I think that's true. However, it's not that easy and it never is that easy. And, you know, I think that one, one of the things here I think is really going on is that the Maple Leafs wanted to get Matthews done. And for obvious reasons, and yesterday they did. They didn't get him done for as long as they wanted to get it, but Matthews had the hammer here. He could dictate the terms, and, you know, he did. But I think in a lot of other cases, I think Toronto was willing to wait. They're willing to see how this season turns out, and they are willing to kind of punt a lot of their decisions down the road. I don't think they've been anywhere close to signing Nylander this offseason. And the one thing I, I'm not surprised about in the least is Nylander's kind of opinion that there's lots of time to sort this out. Mm-hmm. And I think this year, play and results are going to dictate where Toronto goes in a lot of directions. And I think that includes Nylander. I, I, I think the Maple Leafs and him... Uh, haven't been really close this off season to getting a, a contract done, and I'm not surprised about that. I think Toronto, and I think Toronto really wants to see how this year goes before making a lot of decisions. Uh, maybe I'm taking making too much of a friendship, or maybe just more specifically a childhood friendship. But I'm, I'm thinking about David Pasternak uh, and how you know it, it didn't it didn't seem like it had to be. Like he had that same approach where it was, he was not pressed. He was not stressed about it. It wasn't a big deal. And I guess it could have got to the point where it really could have been panic in Boston, but then he just signs, you know, the contract and everything is okay. Is that a good parallel to draw when talking about William Nylander, that a guy he knows well, a guy he probably could seek advice from if he so choose, kind of treated the situation the same? Yes and no. I, I I absolutely feel Pasternak pushed Boston into places they didn't want to go. And it was similar, Justin, in the sense that I think Pasternak had the hammer with the Bruins. You know, if you're a top player, like I said earlier, the closer you get to unrestricted free agency, the more you power you have. And I think, I think Pasternak and I say this to his credit, because I think it's a hard thing to do. I, I think the Bruins were very uncomfortable with he, where he made them go. I don't think they wanted to sign him for the deal that they signed him to. I think they hoped to test his resolve, and they learned that his resolve was very strong. And finally, Boston got to a point where they said, you know what, if we want to keep this guy this is what we're going to have to do. And they agreed to it and they signed him. Like, I think Pasternak was a guy who 
held uh, I would held out as kind of the wrong term, but basically said, "This is what I want, or close to what I want, and you're going to come to me." And eventually, Boston did. Now, I think the one thing I think about Nylander is I think he's very comfortable in his own skin. Like I, I kind of I, I thought the whole thing yesterday, the interview with him. You know, I, I, I admire it in a way because I just think that he, you know, Newlander is, he is who he is. He's very comfortable in his own skin. Not everybody likes it, but he's like, hey, this is who I am. For better or for worse, in your opinion, this is who I am. And he sticks with that. Now, I think the big thing that happens, and I said it today, guys, is that, now that Matthews is done, what is it going to mean for him, for Nylander and Marner? Like, you know, what are, what are they thinking? What are their numbers going to be? And how are the Leafs going to feel about all this? And I think that's why we are where we are. I think Toronto made the decision. We're getting Matthews done at the best deal we can get. And now we're going to see how a lot of things turn out. Unless... Toronto gets what it wants right now, which it obviously hasn't in terms of these contracts, we're comfortable waiting. And I think Nylander in particular, the way he is, he's not afraid of waiting either. And I think he knows if he has a monster season, things are going to take care of themselves. We'll see. Do you think that 13-2-5 number that, uh, you know, at at times we heard 15-16, if it was uh, on the free market or wherever the number was going to be, and now we know what it is, do you think that's going to help maybe lower some of these future numbers that uh, Marner or Nylander might want? Like, does it help, like, suppress them a bit? I don't know if I would say suppress, Alish. I think that, uh, uh, but, you know, look, like, you, you take a look at, you take a look at what happened in Edmonton, okay? Drysaddle and McDavid. McDavid at 12 and a half. They initially tried to get Drysaddle for six and a half, and he's like, no, I want it to be kind of closer to where I think McDavid could be. And it turned out to be a, a, an absolute great contract for player and team. I don't think – I think that I, – I think Marner and Nylander – are going to want to be as close to Matthews as they can get because that's just the way it works. I don't think it's going to be 13 to five. Like I don't want anyone to, you know, <laughs> run with that. You know, I joked on the pod today that Marner is his number of 13, two, four, nine, 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 nine. Like <laughs> I, I think, I don't think like, I think as, as a, as a player, what you're going to try to do is you're going to try to be as, make a case that you're as close to him as you can be. And that's your job, and that's your agent's job. I think what it's going to come down to is what number Toronto is going to be comfortable with, what they're going to want to do. And, you know, at some point in time over the next little while, you know, we're going to find that out. I don't know what it is. I don't think it makes it any lower, Alish. I think, like, I, if you heard the interview, I asked, I believe that one of the things Nylander and his camp have considered is that you don't want to take less if you don't think anybody else is going mm-hmm. to. But he punted that. He said, look, I'm not, I'm not answering that. But that's the way I think. And I think until proven wrong, that's my theory. 
So why yesterday? Why was the uh, extension announced yesterday? Was it finished yesterday? Was it a top drawer for the last little while? And does the fact that William Nylander's name was being talked about a lot yesterday have any sort of coincidence to the announcement only a couple hours later? You know, honestly, I, I, I don't know. Like, I'm here. I'm six hours ahead. Um you know, like, if it happened because they wanted to change the narrative after the Nylander thing, <laughs> I, I had some people ask me that, but I don't know that. Uh, I, I don't know. Like, I'm not as big a conspiracy theorist, so uh, I, I don't know if I, I'm buying that, although some people have suggested it. I, I look at this. I, I think this. I think they've been trying to get Matthews done for a little while now. I heard earlier in the week that they were very close. Um, they really worked hard on keeping a lid on it. Um, and, but I, I, I do think there's some level of everybody wanted it to be over and done with. Like, I just don't think, um, I, you know, I, I just don't think they wanted this to hang. So, um, I don't know if the timing is a coincidence. Uh, it sure looked interesting, but I just think, hey, listen, in this day and age, if you can get something like this done, you get it done. Is Matthews making the announcement tough for your job, eh? No, you know, like, like he, like, uh, you know, who did that in the NBA a couple of years ago was Giannis. Mm-hmm. Um, he broke the news of his big extension in Milwaukee, so it does happen from time to time. Um, I'm not surprised that that Matthews would want to do it that way. I think he's a trailblazer in a lot of the things he thinks. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sure, I, I, again, I haven't really had a chance to speak to anyone because of the time difference, but I have no doubt that Matthews wanted to do it his way and the team wanted to be the one to, like when I look at it, it worked out how Matthews sent the tweet and then the team announced the years uh, and eventually the term. Um, I, I have no doubt that the two sides worked it out that way so they could each sort of break it on their own way. Uh, from a strategic standpoint, when looking at Austin Matthews, what he's done, five years out of entry level, now doing four, we believe he wanted three, which would equate to maximum term out of entry level. Mm-hmm. Uh, I called it a fragmented maximum term where it's just he wanted to do it in two parts, so he would not be underpaid really at any point of that eight years, which I think is pretty brilliant and a little unconventional. So when you look at what their strategy is, when you look at what their agency has done for him, are they just operating at a higher level than most people with this strategy or, or is this something that, uh, you know, others are purposely avoiding doing? You know, I, I think there's a lot of good questions there, uh, Justin, uh, for one thing, I, I think Matthews is not afraid to think a little bit differently. Um, that's number one. I, I don't think that he's a guy who really worries about, uh, things, uh, that some other people worry about. Um, you know, I think that part of it is is that you protect yourself for one more maybe max term deal. Like if you look at it, he'll be 30 when his next one's up and he'll be able to sign, if he continues doing what he's doing, another big long-term deal. So I think that that's kind of always, I think that's the way he wanted it. I think also, like, you know, I, I think on some level, um, uh, I, I think that Matthews is sending a message that uh, that nobody should get too comfortable. Um, like, you know, I, I think uh, one of the things I think it does is 
it puts him in a position to have be able to make career defining decisions for himself earlier than a lot of other players could. Like if he's not happy with the direction of a team or or something like that, I, I think that's a very the, the contract flexibility. I think is important to him. You know, I, I wondered on the podcast today, uh, Justin, if this is going to change the way a lot of NHL players think. That one of the things that Matthews is going to go down is as a trailblazer for this kind of thing in the NHL. And I got a lot of opinions about that. And you know, one of the things that uh, a couple like because like compared to the NBA, like LeBron has done it a few times in Cleveland and in Miami and and uh, it, with the Lakers. But a couple of things that people said to me is that the NHL, the risk of injury is so much greater than anything except potentially like the NFL. Um, they're not sure that there's going to be a lot of players who are willing to do this. That it's, too, you know, even though there's hockey is not as physical as it used to be, there's not as much hitting, there's, there's almost no fighting anymore. Um, just the fact that you're in such a tight and close space and going faster than ever, the risks are there. And they don't think there'll be a lot of players like Matthews who do this. But I just think uh, Justin, he thinks differently, that he's not afraid to think differently. And this way he, he keeps more flexibility over his career and its various points than you know a, a lot of other players have been able to do. Uh, Elliot Friedman on the phone with us. Um, from a Leaf standpoint, what do you consider the greatest victory within this contract? That, that people like uh, all of us and more are not talking about this. <laughs> like, I mean, could you imagine if this went into the season? You know, could you imagine? Like, it's already going to, like, the, the whole Nylander thing already tells you how crazy one of them is going to be. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine if there were two of them? Yeah, be tough. Um, and especially especially with Matthews. Like like and you know, like I know the Maple Leafs as an organization and some of the players have felt that they think contract talk is discussed too much here. Well, imagine if that for every day that one hung over us, it was going to be a major talking point. Well now it's over. And it's over for four more years. And that's a like, look, he's one of the best players in the NHL, and you know you've got him under contract for five more seasons. That's a, that's a W. Uh, let's go back to Nylander for a second. Um, you know, we we're yeah. talking to start the summer. Hey, maybe poke around, see if there's a, a trade there that makes sense. I mean, you're still trying to optimize the roster. You don't know what the future looks like. Just because we've reached this point in the summer and all these teams have pretty much filled out their cap sheets has for now a ship sailed on William Nylander potentially moving? I I always hesitate to say anything with 100% because I've learned that, my, as my grandmother's old saying, you plan and God laughs. But I do think, um, look, there was a time this summer, you know, I, I asked Nylander yesterday if he ever thought he was, he was worried he was going to be traded this year. And he, kind of, he laughed that one off. He said, not really. I do think there was a point this summer where the Maple Leafs looked at trading him. And I just don't think there was anything out there that they thought was really worth it. And so I think that window, they kind of stopped looking. 
And I think my opinion is I, they, they plan, obviously, I think they start the year with him and they see where his, where his situation and their whole team situation goes. Now, I think they have a GM who isn't afraid to make deals. I think you always have to, you know, consider the possibility that any almost anyone in this league can be traded. But, Justin, I think if they were – I don't think they're looking to move him like I think they at least considered early in the summer. I think there was a time they really thought about it. I think there was a time they really looked into it. They didn't like what was out there, and they said, you know what, we're – we're backing away from this and we're going with the status quo. And I think that's where we are right now. Although I always give the reservation that things can change. Uh, you caught up with Elias Pettersson on a boat, which was pretty badass in terms of uh, interviewing uh, hockey players. Um, he also said he wanted to wait. Uh, you know, yeah. you can look, you can listen to the interviews and I, I suggest that everyone should but how does that compare and contrast with, you know, how Nylander approached it? Like, Nylander said sort of the same thing, different way. Is there something to take from the way those two messages were delivered from two different players? Well, I, I think what it, what it says to me, I, I think this is a reminder that as fans and people who have or are not the exact subjects like Nylander and Patterson are, like, you want, the, you want this over with. You want to know one way or the other what this person is going to do and sometimes and i and i include myself in this the best thing to do is wait and see and and see how things go and maybe fans don't like it but it's not their decision ultimately like in nylander's case some of this is toronto's decision they know what nylander wants and they're like you know what, we're not prepared to do this right now. Pedersen's case is a little bit different. First of all, you know, even though he's only got one more year after under contract, he's not an unrestricted free agent next summer. He's got he's got two more years until he reaches that point of view. So it, to me, it's not the same thing. Secondly, I don't think there's any doubt here that Vancouver knows they're going to have to pay him a lot of money, and they are prepared to do it. And Pedersen, he knows that his next contract, wherever it's going to be, is going to be a big one. I think this is, this, for me, and, you know, the other thing, too, is, and I should have said this on the pod, and I wish I did, but I didn't, so I'll, I'll do it here. I don't think Pedersen considers this as big a deal as some people out there do. I think he looks at it as there's time like Nylander, there's time to figure this out. Now, I'll say this about Pedersen. He looks fantastic, and he is very serious about his training. Like, one of the things that happened, guys, was we're on the boat together, and he has a bag with him with his prepared meal. Mm. Like, he only eats what he's being prepared for him. He looks terrific. He's very serious about it. He knows he's a huge part of what Vancouver has to do to win, and he is determined to get that done. I think he does believe in where they're going, but he needs to see it. And I, like, put it this way, if Vancouver has a strong year, I, 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 think it, I think he'll sign. If Vancouver doesn't have a strong year, well, then we could have a problem. But I didn't get the sense... Like, he, like, sometimes I get vibes from somebody that they're like, my situation is terrible and this isn't going to work, whether they say it or not. 
I did not get that vibe from Pedersen. He's, um, the vibe was, I think this can work, but I want to make sure. Well, you guys are getting lots of incredible stuff over there. Um, so what's cooking on the rest of your 32 Thoughts Euro trip, and how much longer are you guys over there for? Well, Jeff left today, uh, and I'm leaving tomorrow. Oh, well. Sweden could only handle Jeff Merrick for two days. <laughs> they so kicked him out. He, they he deported left. him. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He was deported. It's like Oglethorpe. They like they <laughs> deported from Canada. They didn't want him. Uh, so Merrick left today, and I'm leaving tomorrow. Um, uh, the Euro trip, sadly, is. Uh, is is almost over well we look forward to all the stories that you'll tell about it uh for years to come elliot we appreciate you coming on um whatever time whatever place it is uh you always give us the best stuff so safe trip home and we'll chat back on eastern standard time flattery will get you everywhere Alice. have a great night guys and have a great weekend thanks so much if i learned anything just be nice to elliot there you go, there you go. <laughs> elliot freeman uh, hockey night in canada 32 thoughts podcast and of course they've been overseas for a little bit of time so Take a look at their podcast feed because they'll have some good stuff coming out. And he was the one that sat down with William Nylander and his fun fit yesterday. Yes, yes that's uh, that was a fun fit indeed. Uh, he painted us a little picture, though, but off the clock, Elliot, Stockholm, late August. That's uh, There's probably some stories that could be kicked around there. And, uh, yeah, we got a couple there. Interesting uh, points of view. I mean, he caught up with the two subjects you'd want to catch up with, I mm-hmm. think, over there in Europe, which is Pedersen and Nylander, two interesting guys. Uh, who are looking at their situation similarly, but a little bit different as well. He didn't fully shut down my conspiracy theory, but he just said he's not a big conspiracy theory guy. That is true. Elliot's, Elliot's got to be careful, right? We, we throw around things pretty... <laughs> yeah. I mean, we were, we were saying Darko Ryakovich wouldn't coach a game and we were quickly <laughs> shut down after that so we got to be a little bit more care- or elliot's got to be a little bit more careful than us but uh yeah i mean, I mean every time he picks up the phone he's got to think i gotta be really articulate with every point yeah. i make and make sure can't be, be loose with the words make sure to be clear that i don't fully know this 100 percent. Mm-hmm. but my thoughts are this and we just just spew nonsense yes we do it's all good uh, we'll spew some more nonsense with Chris LaRue after the break, Sportsnet 590 Blue Jays radio analyst. We didn't touch on it too much because that was a tough one last night. Blue Jays uh, with a bit of a heartbreaker for Kevin Gosman, at least on the mound. But they got an opportunity to win the series tonight uh, against the Orioles. It'll be Barrios and Gibson on the mound. Chris will join us after the break, and then we'll do our little Shohei news which is a tough one, but I just got another update. He's going to continue playing baseball. I don't understand how arms work, but we'll get through all that with Chris after the break. Unrivaled insight, analysis, and opinions on all things Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. West Coast guy, but we get him in a nice afternoon. Everyone's well rested and uh, here. Good to see you, Chris. Uh, it's good to be back. Actually, I was in the studio yesterday, but yeah, it's good well, to be back. It's good to today. have you. It's good to be with you. It's really nice. We never get to chat with people in real life, too. So we do appreciate it. Um, we know you've uh, been a part with the Sportsnet broadcast team, and it's been fun to listen to you guys. Um, but last night, to not maybe the best of times to be calling Blue Jays baseball a 7 nothing loss. Uh, we were talking about Kevin Gosman on the mound and his comments post-game as well, like a little bit of urgency this team needs. 
are you seeing like a missing of urgency as well? Well, I think the biggest thing, the thing that I see is they still don't hit with runners in scoring position. And and I hate talking about that just because we've, that, that horse is dead, Mm -hmm. right? Like we don't need to talk about that anymore. I think, I think everybody knows. And, and especially the clubhouse, I talk to guys, I talk to coaches and they're just like, they know (laughs) they try. And I think the problem is they're trying too hard. Mm -hmm. They get up there and they know that the media is talking about them. They know that the fans are talking about them. They know that the coaches are, they have that, the, the magnifying glass on them. People are like, oh, you should fire the hitting coach. It's not their fault. <laughs> it's the player's fault. They're going up there with, a, with, with this, this has to get done mentality. And that's the wrong mentality to have when you, when you go up to the plate with runners in scoring position, right? So I think that's the problem. But it's the problem that we shouldn't focus on because it's the biggest problem right? Everybody knows what needs to get done and they just got to do it. So that's like, that's kind of goes to the opinion that, okay, uh, you know, some athletes are like, we don't, we don't hear what's going on. And then some do. Right. And I get, I, I feel like it would be impossible not to like to be in the blue Jays orbit and to not hear and to have people speaking on it and just being a topic of conversation at all times. I feel like that would be an impossibility, but at the same time, like, all these teams have issues. All the teams have things that they're trying to overcome. And this team, this is just a prevailing prevailing thing that just won't go away. And then you look around the team, right? Like a guy like Brendan Belt, who's won two World Series, and I guess maybe having some troubles with runners in scoring position, but maybe less so than others, right? Like, is it just the absence of enough Brendan Belt types in that guys that can handle the conversation, the chat, the chatter, the plight that a team is going with. Like what we're talking about adults in the room, Bo being different, Brendan Belt being a guy who's had such a positive impact of, of late. Are they missing enough or are they missing too many of the guys that could, you know, make sure that noise doesn't creep into the clubhouse? So this is what they're missing. And I spoke with, with Hunter Mentz, who's uh, one of the Blue Jays hitting coaches. And he told me, I don't know if he told me to, to say this on there, but whatever. It's too late He's now. my boy. He's my boy. Can't I, not I, I, say yeah. it. <laughs> so there's, there's, with runners in scoring position, the types of hitters that are called run producers, right? They're guys that can hit the ball on the ground. They're guys that can hit the ball on a line. And there's guys that can hit fly balls. Mm. Those are the best run producers in baseball. When you look at guys that consistently have... 110, 120, 130 RBIs. They're guys that can do all three of those things. The Blue Jays don't have one of those guys that can do every single one of those things, right? So an example, you come up to the plate, there's runners on second and third or runners on third, and the infield's in. What do you have to do? You have to hit a fly ball. If you're not a fly ball hitter, that's going to be really hard for you to score that run from third, right? You come up to the plate. You come up to the plate and the infield's back. What do you have to do? You have to hit a, a ground, ball ground ball because they're giving you the run. And if you're not a ground ball hitter, that guy's not going to score. Right? So that that's I think that's the biggest issue with this team is they don't have a guy on this team or or in a perfect world more than one guy that can do all three of those things. Is Bobachet not that guy? Sure. Maybe, maybe they have one. Mm. That's, that's like the only, the only guy that, that you, 
that I could think of that is that guy, but he was out when I was talking to Hunter Mentz, so that's why, that's why he wasn't, he was hurt when I was talking to him. So, yeah, I forgot about him, but. So people trying to do things out of character. That exactly. That can be a way that exactly. you're falling short. It's like in any sport, right? Exactly. You're not a power play guy putting you out there and, like, you're doing something that you're not meant to be doing. But isn't that a good tidbit of information? No, like, yeah. when, when Hunter was telling me that. You might get in trouble for it. Like, I played baseball <laughs> for a long time, and yeah. I was just like, holy cow, like, I've never yeah. heard of that ever. Okay, so where And does, it makes so much sense. Where does Vladdy uh, fall short of that? I mean, we're seeing him dig a lot of balls into the ground. We're seeing some home runs, some big flies. We he's saw a, a lot he, at the he's home a ground run ball derby. Guy. Ground he's, ball line drive guy. Yeah. He like he lost Which is not what he profiled as. No, was it? he lost his he lost his ability and I hope he can get it back, but he's lost his ability to hit the fly ball. Like for, for like drive a ball. Like what how per, what prevents that? Yeah, like sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I don't <sighs> I would be lying if I said I was a hitting guy. Yeah. I think that question is more suited to, towards like a Hunter. Barker or, or Hunter Mance. Let's call Hunter hey, Mance. Yeah, let me text him. Let me text Mike. him. Um, I, I, think, I think even hitting guys, I think even the hitting coaches for the Toronto Blue Jays are like, what is happening? I, I've, I've, my professional opinion is he goes up to the plate and he doesn't have the same approach that he had in years past. He's trying to do different things. He's trying to do too much. He's trying to hit a home run instead of instead of just being the guy that he was a couple of years ago. I have no idea, but he is not the same hitter that he was, and I don't even know if you can trade him for something good right now. It's frustrating because I feel like we saw that glimpse of Vladdy in whatever, 2021, right? The immaculate mm-hmm. Vladdy year, and everyone's chasing that. But then you see someone like Dalton Varsho make one change in his approach 20-whatever games ago, and he's a new guy. So I think people think it's so easy to be like, well, tell Vladdy to do a toe tap. Tell him to stop thinking so much. Tell him to stop listening to this guy and focus on his get his uncle from to fly in and have his uncle there. That but, worked well. Yeah, right? <laughs> Did it, though? So, so yeah. it seems like it's so easy, but it's really not. Like, And, and this might be the rest of the year like this yeah i mean i i it's definitely going to be the rest of the year i mean there might be a home run here or there or or a double here or there or a run driven in but i think for the most part this is what he's going to be for this the rest of this season which is a Mm. huge letdown because the blue jays would be in a playoff position if vlad was hitting 290 with 28 homers or or you know along those lines Mm. something that he can he should be doing every single year right but yeah, it's a huge letdown. And I think that the the Dalton Varsho story is cool because he came here and we talk about athletes being able to not hear the noise and not read the Twitter comments or not, you know, not read your Instagram direct messages from angry fans. Mm-hmm. That's not true. Those guys love mm. they they love reading about themselves and i'm and not every guy but i would say a lot of guys love reading things about themselves good or bad and dalton varsho comes here and there's so much pressure on him and he's admitted it in, in plenty of interviews where he was trying to do too much and baseball is a sport where if you're trying to do too much you don't succeed i was a guy that i'd go out there and, and i was always looking over my shoulder because my career was very up and down and I would go out there and try to do too much, and I would end up pitching worse than if I was just out there just carefree, right? If somebody was like, yo, dude, you got two years to prove yourself, I'd be like, easy. Mm. But what I was playing was like, you better be, you better be yeah. good tonight. Otherwise, like perfect example. I get called up for the first time in, in my very first game in Florida, and the owner of the team at the time was Jeffrey Loria. A lot of people know him because he owned the Montreal Expos. Mm-hmm. 
And after the game, I just had a decent outing, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm scooping food onto my plate. And he comes up to me and slaps me on the back. He's like, great job, Chris. I'm like, heck yeah, all right. <laughs> Billionaire just slapped me on the back. of the... And he's like, you know what they say? What have you done for me lately? And I was just like, what kind of stupid ass comment is that? Get out of my face. Yeah. Like, why would you say that? And that's kind of, that's, that's kind of where Dalton was, right? Mm. He, was, he was like, oh, I have to perform now. I have to perform now. And, and you tighten up and you just don't. You're just not good. And I think now he's just like, screw it. Is a pitcher's season like full of constant adjustment, tinkering in the lab, constantly thinking about everything that goes into it? Or, and I guess that would be that that way for some guys, but would the best guys not be like totally unconscious and just be like doing their own thing at all times? Like I'm thinking about Alec Manoa's season. Clearly you're thinking about everything that you're doing. Clearly something's not right. You may never get it back this season. At least it doesn't look like you will. But like, is it a constant battle for everyone? Or is that like sort of what separates the best from the worst or the best from those who are not going to have long careers that they are not in the process of being in the lab at all times? I think baseball is one of those one of those sports where you're always tinkering, mm-hmm. right? Like if you look at Bo, who's having a great season, there's been times where he, he adjusts his swing because he hasn't felt right in three days, right? Like if I'm an NBA player, and I haven't felt right in three days, there's probably nothing wrong with my shot. It's just things aren't falling for me, right? So you're not going to tinker with your shot mm-hmm. and, and completely overhaul what you've been doing. But baseball is one of those sports where you, you, you just, you're always tinkering. You're always trying to figure things out. But, dude, don't get me started on Alec. Like, no, let's get started that's on that. A, that's, a sad, that's a sad story, man. Like, there's, Today like, said that he's going down to Buffalo officially. I, I hope so. Smith reported that before we got on the radio. So he's headed down there. He spent two weeks doing some, I want to make sure I get it right, uh, some like x-rays or some imaging to make sure there wasn't an injury. We're not sure. Looking for structural Looking stuff, for structural I guess. Stuff. But, uh, so maybe today, there's something going he's on. down in Buffalo. But when you see that, when you see that Alec Manoa is not going to AAA, because you've been in positions like mm-hmm. that before, right? Like, it, that, that it's strange. It, it's it's strange that his entire season has been strange. Mm. But when you're just waiting for maybe something to happen or waiting for maybe imaging or waiting for maybe someone to make or change their mind based on your situation, like it just seemed like a guy on the outside that didn't want to accept a demotion and how awkward and weird and problematic is that? So initially when I heard the report that he ha- he's still in Toronto just floating around somewhere, I felt I felt like it was strange. Mm. Like I had mm. that like feeling and I was like, "Ooh, that's strange. Like something must be going on." And then the more I thought about it, the like the angrier I got cuz I put myself in you know, 2012 where I was a player and if somebody did that while I was on the team, like I would be upset. I'd be like, "Dude, you have a 6 ERA, you're 2 and 10 or whatever you are, mm-hmm. go to Buffalo and get better." This is a meritocracy. Exactly. Like, what are you doing? Like, you're out at the bar on Queen Street? Like, beat it. Like, mm-hmm. I would literally tell him that. Mm-hmm. I would call him and be like, what are you doing? And I feel like some guys have that privilege, right? Like, if Verlander got sent down, like, yeah, he's had a pretty solid career. Like, 16, 17 years of just dominance. He can wait a few weeks and just chill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Alec Mano, there's been hundreds, hundreds of guys that have had a good year and a half and then they're gone, right? Like, I had a good year once. After that, I was terrible. That's you were just... at the bar in Queen Street. <laughs> well, well, wherever I was. <laughs> Nobody knows where I was. Right? Like, 
that's the way baseball yeah. works, specifically baseball. You can have a good year, and I'm not going to say it's luck, but you can have a good year, and then the rest of your career is terrible. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that's going to happen to Alec. I hope that doesn't happen to Alec, but it very well could, right? So what are you doing in Toronto? Go to Buffalo, or if you're hurt, go to Florida. Mm-hmm. Pitch. Pitch. And, Pitch. That, that, and that's it's, – it's, there's two options, Buffalo or Florida. See ya. Don't stay in Toronto. I don't want to see you. That's it. Yeah. You've, been, you've had a good year and a half, right? Mm-hmm. A good year and a half. Congratulations. But that's not long enough to warrant, oh, I'm just going to chill for a couple of weeks. Yeah, you got to earn that. Um, we're talking with Chris LaRue here, um, Sportsnet 590 The Fan, radio analyst. Um, so I'll just update. Ben Nicholson-Smith did have an article up about an hour ago. We've been on the radio. We haven't read it, but it says, what's more? What's next on Alec Manoa? So we'll read that after, and we can learn some more about what's up with Alec Manoa. Um, but hopefully, hopefully they don't put my foot in my mouth. Yeah, whatever. like Tommy John or something. <laughs> 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 it's like he will never pitch again. Oh, oh my crap. God. <laughs> um, okay, let's, let's do the flip of that. Um, Yusei Kikuchi had a pretty brutal end to this last season, and he has become a completely different pitcher. How, I guess, stunning has that turnaround been for you? Oh, it's been cool. Really yeah. cool. And, I mean, he's a guy that really four or five years straight, he's, he was pretty average. He's got great stuff. I mean, for, especially for a left-hander, he's got, mm-hmm. like, top, top-tier top stuff. And then the pitch clock happened, and I think that he, from what I've heard from very credible sources, he is a guy that would get the ball back, walk around the mound, think about what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. And in baseball, that's not the right thing to do, right? The more you think, the more you process, the worse you are. And I think that now he's not rushing, but he just gets the ball back and he – Gets the rhythm, pitch. He of. gets the pitch from Danny or or Alejandro, mm-hmm. and then he just goes. No thinking involved, no nothing. And I think that's been – a lot of guys, the, the pitch clock hasn't been beneficial, but Yusei Kikuchi has probably been, like, number one in the pitch clock being a better thing for them. I think Kevin Gosman's fascinating because uh, he's, I guess, had the label of uh, he's the unluckiest pitcher in baseball, right? Like he gets BABIP to he hell least last year, least MLB. run support. And I guess those are real things. But like some of the results aren't, you know, what we'd expect of late. And eventually you start rolling your eyes at the, oh, he's unlucky again, right? Like when you hear a pitcher's unlucky, uh, does that, what does that mean to you? What do you mean by unlucky? Like, like, you know, he, that pitch was located well, but a barrel got on it and dropped into a, and it's a bloop single, right? And it's not like he deserves better results than he's been getting, I guess, would be the luck factor. I think, I think when, I'm, when I'm talking about luck or when I'm thinking about luck with pitchers, I look at stuff, right? Like if a guy is throwing 88 and he's, quote, unlucky, mm, is he? Mm. His stuff's not that good, right? And then I look at a guy like Kevin Gossman who has top 10 stuff in baseball. Mm -hmm. And if you say he's unlucky, I can believe it, right? Because he probably is unlucky. Like he literally has one of the best fastballs and one of the best split fingers in the game. And so, I mean, I don't know where I'm going with that, but. You buy it with him. I buy it, Mm -hmm. right? I buy it because of his, his stuff is so good. How would you, because I heard John Blair and Barker, was it yesterday or the day before, talking about Jordan Hicks. Someone said to you when you were looking for information, good luck with Jordan Hicks. Have fun. Have fun with Jordan have Hicks. Have fun because it's, it's a roller coaster. Yeah. Uh, like, what's the, what's the main, well, it's like, what's at the heart of the issue with Jordan Hicks? Because we fall in love, obviously, with those big numbers. 
but it seems, and we've been worried about it since he stepped foot in Toronto. Like, how can you, you can't harness it the way it needs to be harnessed. He had some good results. He's had some bad results. What's holding him back from being truly elite? Well, if you look at Jordan Romano, he has the elite fastball, but he also has the elite slider, right? Jordan Hicks has the extremely elite fastball, probably the best fastball ever in baseball, and he doesn't have a slider, doesn't have really have an off-speed pitch. And when that's the case, it doesn't matter. I mean, it kind of does because his fastball is very good, and mm-hmm. it sinks like a, like crazy. Yep. <laughs> I don't know the exact inches and i don't know what website to go to for that but <laughs> there's way too many i just look at websites. i just do the eye test yeah. I'm like yeah that's a good that that's good. a good <laughs> um but he needs he needs to have an off-speed pitch big league hitters especially good ones if you don't have an off-speed pitch they just sit on your fastball and they can hit it right so he has to develop an off-speed pitch sometimes sometimes guys don't have the the, the right release for a slider and that's when they start to try to, to tinker with like a change up or a split finger. And I think he should try to tinker with a split finger. I, he should, he should go chat with Kevin Gossman and, and, and figure out a split finger because if he can figure out one of those, he'll be the best pitcher in baseball. Chatting with Chris LaRue, Sports and 590, uh, Blue Jays radio analyst. Okay. So we got to get to Shohei Otani. Crazy day yesterday. Hits a home run in game one, tears his UCL in the second inning of the same game, then hits again in game two now says he won't be pitching for the rest of the season, but might still try to play it. First of all, the UCL, you would know more about this UCL, but to me, it doesn't, I don't understand how you can still continue to play baseball and hit because he wants to do that. Uh, so when I tore my UCL, I could do everything but throw. Wow. So I tore my, I tore my UCL in, in college and I was still a catcher. I was like a catcher pitcher. I would, I would catch for eight innings and come in and close in the ninth. Yeah. Whoa, that's badass. It's a, th- it's a th- yeah, Forget it was, Shohei. You yeah. were before Shohei. It, it, was, it was, so what I would do, I mean, I don't need to like, I don't mean this story, whatever. Um, so what I would do is, is I would catch eight innings and then my coach would come out and take the pitcher out and I would be warming up with the third baseman. It was Th- a fake. This is crazy. Oh. Like I was like, I was like, uh, what's that girl in, in, on LSU that said she can't go Angel to class Reese. anymore? Yeah. I mean, I'm just kidding. I could definitely go to class, but that's what I felt like. But anyway, so so Shohei, I just feel bad for him. Like, yeah, it's terrible. Whenever you go through an injury like that, it's terrible, right? And you think your career is over, and then you battle back, and and everything's great, and now it happens again, mm-hmm. and you have to go through that process again, and then in the back of your mind, you think, is there something wrong with my elbow? Like. Do I have a deficiency? Am I going to be going through this again and again mm-hmm. and again? Like Mike Soroka with his with his torn yeah. uh, Achilles, mm-hmm. like that, mental hurdle. Like that dude has to think about that for the rest of his career. Like if I step on a step wrong, is my Achilles going to tear? Right. So so that I think that's the thing that that sticks out to me mm-hmm. with Shohei is this dude has to think about that for the rest of his career. He throws a pitch. He's like, is this the pitch that? Did you think about it every every single pitch, every start? So ap- no, after the first time, you you get over that hurdle. Okay, because the first time is it's whatever. Like everybody goes through Tommy John, everybody does whatever. But if it happens again, mm. which it never happened to me, it was just that one time. Like that would be a hurdle, and Shohei has to get over that. Because I mean, I don't even care about the money. He's gonna he's gonna make his money, right? You think same? Not the same. Like I, be, I, I, I always thought I always thought he would get. 
56, 57. I think he's going to get like 47 now. Man. He'll take a hit. But what it's a still crazy be... time for this to happen right before exactly. free agency. And crazy time the Angels could have traded him. And watch them make a run. <laughs> Can't even pitch. No, they, they won't. They won't. No. <laughs> That's not oh, true. No, Tro, Tro That's goes not on the IL too. Yeah, Yesterday, yeah, this is yeah. a bad day for Angels in yeah, general. No. But I mean, no. I was talking to Blair before we came on, and he was saying that uh, they might secretly be celebrating a little bit because they didn't sign this guy to a massive contract, and now he might stick around and just like rehab it out for a year, and then they might be able to cash in on a different Shohei or, or pay him a different pitcher catch or pitcher hitter contract. Like he had a bunch of theories. I'm sure he'll talk about it. Blair and Barker about five we'll minutes. Watch, and they won't trade him next year. But like he could yeah. be a DH all of next year. Um, well, it depends when he has, like, it, he might not have the surgery. Sometimes you can rehab and mm. for whatever, like, I don't know. The, yeah, they the don't know yet. Yeah. Okay. But sometimes it heals itself. God. I don't, don't even he's ask, don't, don't even enough. ask me to He's kind of an alien on though, honestly. He probably could heal it himself. You want to know what's crazy? So I was in Japan in 2013 and Shohei Otani was 17 years old playing for, wow. I forget the team. Okay. But I played against him as a 17 year old and he was the exact same player. Wow. Did he see you do the catcher pitcher no, no, thing? Because he probably got inspired <laughs> then. <laughs> it was a turning point for I didn't show. Do that he time. said, Why am I playing one position? This guy's <laughs> playing two. Oh, but so so I got a front row seat to like the basically the high school kid doing that and everybody knows that he's the man and well, they the knew that, eh? Oh my he was the first overall yeah. pick in Japan. Seventeen. He was throwing a hundred in, yeah. in like when he was like fifteen. Dude's unbelievable, but I do feel bad for him, and and it's more of a mental hurdle than anything. He'll he'll get his money. He'll be he'll be fine with that. But yeah, it's the mental hurdle. Before we let you go, I saw um, Drake wore Shohei Otani's jersey about a month ago, and since then he left early with a hand cramp, then had arm fatigue and missed a start, then left early with arm fatigue, went on the I, IR and only did. A DH, and now he has a UCL, so maybe the Drake curse. The Drake curse. You can always be, blame Drake. It could oh be the Drake curse. You anyway, can always blame Drake. Thanks for coming um, yeah, yeah. and joining the show. It was great to chat with you. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll get you on the morning show one day when you're not on the West Coast. We won't. Yeah, no. Well, <laughs> I'll, I'll block you on it. <laughs> that's okay. I'll block Mike on it, text it'll be, message. It'll be blocked. Um, <laughs> all right, well, that's it for Justin and I on Fan Drive Time. You got Blair and Barker after and teeing up tonight. Uh, game three, Blue Jays with a chance to win tonight. We'll chat with you guys tomorrow.